0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: This is the Tennis Podcast and I am your host, Nick. I'm Brandon, who is taking a drink
2: of water at the wrong time.
1: <sighs> well, We've only been doing this 76 times. 76 and some change. Brand, why don't you tell the folks at home what this show is all about?
2: The show is all about top 10 lists, 10 or so. Could be more than 10, could be a little less. One of us each week brings a list, the other one has no idea what is on the list or what the list is and we try to guess that list. We are an audio avatar for the uh, player at home. This is a play at home, a long game except you, there's not a whole
1: lot of interaction. Now, I feel like I need to apologize to the listeners because I just listened to you mm-hmm. and if that's how we always sound, then we're in trouble. That's pretty much it. Okay. Well, what he said is pretty much right. It's the Tennis Podcast. But before we get into today's list, Brandon, mm-hmm. how you doing? I just want to check on you. How are you holding up with the coronavirus?
2: I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a bit of gravel in my voice. I'm a little bit under the weather. Mm. I've been doing a little coughing and I had a slight fever the other day. I am fairly certain at this point that it does not have anything to do with my recent trip to taste exotic meats in (laughs) China. And yeah, came back and caught a cold, I guess. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, before, I guess before someone like calls the CDC and they put that like metal bar in front of my front door so I can't leave, I should say that I did not go to China but I do have a chest cold.
1: Well, don't worry. By the time this episode airs, I'm sure CDC will have been completely defunded by Trump by that point. We'll all be What uh, do we need the CDC for? How is it any different than CBS or NBC? We got enough stations on TV right now. Cut the funding.
2: Well, I don't think the funding is cut yet, but there's nobody working there. <laughs> it's like Walmart. There's a whole bunch of people there and they need help and they're buying stuff, but there's nobody working there. Yeah, shout out to
1: Walmart. They're a good model for the country. This country, huh? You just said this country? Did I tag on what we're going to talk about today? Not really, but I'm going to make oh. it work anyway. This country is part of this earth, right? Mm -hmm. This earth is part of the universe. Would you say that's fair? Would you say that's an accurate assumption? Sure. Okay. Today is episode 76 which means 10 episodes ago on episode 66, I brought you a list of the top 10-ish most credible UFO sightings in modern history. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. It was very exciting. After doing that, I have been in talks with someone who has personally compiled, yes, this is the second time in a row my work has been done for me. But it's been your best work? <laughs> someone has personally compiled for me the top 10 most credible close encounters. Ooh, Wait, What of which kind? So, these would be, let me get my kinds right. Okay, so the first kind, so let's go over the encounter scale, huh? This is from ufologist Jay Hynek. Yeah. He invented this scale. Close encounters of the first kind are visual sightings... Tell people who
2: J. Allen Hynek is. Okay, go ahead. J. Allen Hynek is an astronomer, professor and most interestingly, a ufologist. He's a skeptic who was brought on by the Air Force in the 40s, 50s, and then the 60s to study UFOs. And though you've probably heard of Project Blue Book, they made a TV series on History Channel all about this guy and his work in Project Blue Book. He, Anyway, he was a skeptic. He didn't believe in UFOs and he started studying it and he believes UFOs are legit
1: shit. Which means they are legit shit. Right. Scientists said it done. He invented this scale of close encounters. Close encounters of the first kind would be where our last UFO episode landed. You just see them. Visual sightings of unidentified objects seemingly less than 500 feet away. Yeah. Close encounters of the second kind are a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, etc. So, that would have also probably fallen in, in our last episode at times. Okay. So, today, we're going to be talking mostly about the third and fourth kinds, which Mm -hmm. are a close encounter of the third kind is a UFO encounter in which an animated entity is present. Not Mickey Mouse. Yeah, not Gumby. They're talking about humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. Fuck, yes. I didn't know robots might be in this too. Well, it's not, unfortunately, because today's list is strictly humanoid. Okay. And then close encounter of the fourth kind, just one more, is a close encounter of a UFO event in which a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants. We're going to be talking about the third and fourth kind today. These are the most credible? The most credible. Let me tell you about how my list was developed. Okay, the
2: credit. Where's the credit or the credibility come from?
1: So, after the last episode on this topic, which again is episode 66, I was in talks with the host of the Our Strange Skies podcast, we gave his show a shout out on that show. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a great show, it's one of the best UFO slash alien slash paranormal podcasts out there. It's hosted by Rob Kristofferson. and he reached out and wanted to compile this list for us and he did. He personally researched and compiled the list for this podcast himself. And he also, along with all of his entries, he gave his rationale for its spot on the list. Mm -hmm. I consider him an extremely credible source. You should definitely check out his show if you're into this topic. That's Our Strange Skies. He also has a recurring panel of guests that join him and experts that join him for the show. You can check them out at ourstrangeskies.com. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Yeah, I've also thought about having Rob on the show at some point, maybe a Patreon episode. We'll see. We'll see how... Definitely, yeah. So, here was his criteria. This is a quote from him. There were a number of factors I used to determine the ranking of this list including number of eyewitnesses, how credible the witness is and how credible the report seemed and the amount of detail relayed by the witness. Mm -hmm. Close encounter cases particularly of the third and fourth kind are incredibly hard to verify but they are fascinating nonetheless.
2: I'd say of all the ways you could qualify or quantify these encounters, I think the way he's chosen to go about it is probably the strongest. I feel like this is credible.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. This is about as, as good as it gets in our world because this guy's been researching this stuff for years and he, his podcast is very successful. And so, again, we're going to be looking at Close Encounters of the Third and Fourth Kind featuring humanoids exclusively. So, what is a humanoid, Brandon, for the folks at home?
2: A little bit human, but the oid part means they're mm. a little bit oid. A little bit oid. I think the greys the grays are would considered be a humanoid. humanoid. It
1: would just be essentially an
2: extraterrestrial that, Got you know, arms and legs and a head. Exactly. Thank you. It's not Jabba the Hutt, it's Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks yeah, had arms, no, I legs guess you're right. and a
1: head. I don't think he had a tail. He had a hell of an ass on him too, I'll tell you that. It was all slimy. The last thing I'm going to tell you is that you've probably only heard of maybe three or four of these. Right. Just like last time. So... Yeah, I, don't, I didn't think I'd
2: be able to guess these off the top of my head. I, what, if anything, might I be guessing?
1: You're going to be guessing the incident itself and then I'm going to tell you about it as well as grobs okay. of reasoning. I know you've heard of two or three of these for sure because they're covered on another podcast we both love. Mm-hmm. And the number one on this list, I had never heard of. So, that's exciting to me too. We're all going to learn something today. Let's start learning. Let's we'll start learning. The most credible, close encounters with extraterrestrials in modern history. And your chance run-in with Kirk Cameron at the Chicago airport does not count.
2: He did have an out-of-this-world void in his eyes. Yeah. So, do we start with number 10 and work our way up? Why don't you just shout out a few that you are aware of and that... Okay. Uh, Well, Betty and Barney Hill is I think one of the most famous Close Encounters of the fourth kind because they both got abducted. Allegedly. And got all
1: kinds of stuff done to them. Betty and Barney Hill. It probably is the most famous, right? It's at least the most famous in ufology circles. Didn't James Earl Jones
2: play Barney Hill? Uh, I mean, I know they made a movie of it, at least one movie. Uh, The way I learned about it as a kid was on Unsolved
1: Mysteries. Oh, yeah. It scared the hell out of me. All right, let's talk about it. Betty and Barney Hill, it is on here, it's number seven. So again, this is probably goes without saying but we're only going to scratch the surface on all these today. I encourage you to look up your own research if you're interested or just go check out Our Strange Skies and Our Strange Skies did do a roundtable episode on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Here's the summary. I'm just going to read for a bit and then I'll stop and we can talk about it, Okay? okay? On September 19th, 1961, around 10.30 p.m., Betty and Barney Hill were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls and Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. While Barney navigated, you... Wouldn't this all just be... This would just be really fun if it was Barney the Dinosaur, right? <laughs> driving the car? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you
2: know, part of the story, at least uh, one part of it is that they were an interracial couple in the 60s yep, or early 60s and I think there were some theories or at least a half explanation that maybe the stress of being an interracial couple like led them to have some sort of strange experience or something. Seems but like a rage um, to me. But... but Betty with the purple Barney is... <laughs> That I can understand
1: the stress of that. Yeah, there's a lot of stress involved with being Barney's woman. So, if you're Barney's woman, are you you fucking or is he like not into that because he's basically like a big child? Hmm. Whatever he's into, it's... He's into kinky shit, I bet. Because he's got to like hold it all in during filming because you know, he's still got to go to work and film the show for Barney's playhouse or whatever the hell. But when he gets home, he has all this pent up sexual aggression. It's like, I need a... Or he probably still has the same
2: voice like, I need a scotch <laughs> hey, take off your shirt. <laughs> uh, Barney the dinosaur. It's not purple Barney, it's <laughs>
1: Barney who was indeed played by James Earl Jones. <laughs> Thanks for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, they're driving home from vacation. It's nighttime, it's September 1961. They're an interracial couple. They see a bright point of light in the sky. While Barney navigated the road, Betty reasoned that she was observing a falling star only it moved upward. Since it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as to walk their dog, Delcy. Barney stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. So here's where it starts to get weird. The hills would stop a few more times, including one dramatic moment when the UFO cut them off on the road. Whoa. Do you not remember that? UFO like swooped down in front of them.
2: Yeah, I just, I do, but cut them off like makes it sound like even more aggressive than... Maybe he just had some road rage. Barney was driving with his blinker on for like <laughs> six miles.
1: <laughs> well, he's trying to turn it off, but his big ass purple mascot hands couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it. Okay. So I they... hate this fucking car. <laughs> Hang on, honey, fucking asshole, cut me off. So, the UFO cut Barney off and when... Barney followed the UFO into a clearing. He observed it for a number of minutes through a pair of binoculars before he was forced to rip them away from his face. That's how how it's written. He just couldn't. The the hills then sped away before hearing a series of beeps coming from the trunk of their car. And the next moment, they were miles down the road with no memory of how they got there. So, let's pause here. This UFO cut him off. And obviously... He's like, fuck you, asshole. Yeah. Followed him into a clearing... I'm gonna beat the shit out of this guy. <laughs> Takes his binoculars out.
2: It's like let me study him first before I get close enough to whack him with this tire iron. Let's see what this asshole looks like. Let me size him up. All road rage incidents begin with some studious studying and sizing up. Before whipping out, out your binoculars <laughs> to make sure you're not running into something too hot to handle.
1: And writing and down looks equations. Binoculars
2: and he turns to Betty immediately and says, like, these guys are little, no problem. <laughs>
1: No, I think he said, holy shit, these are fucking gray humanoids. (laughs) Let's get the fuck out of here. So, they they started to get out of there and then they lost track of time essentially for hours Mm -hmm. and were miles away on the road. How do you explain this? The Hills would begin an investigation of their case almost immediately upon arriving home. This would eventually lead them to a hypnotherapist named Dr. Benjamin Simon. Uh, That might have been the same guy that did uh, Whitley Streber, I think, maybe. Maybe not, doesn't matter. Under hypnosis, the Hills would reveal a narrative of alien abduction being brought on board the craft and subjected to a medical examination and then returned to their car. So, that's all I got on the story. That's like the super, you know, parsed down
2: high level version. Yeah, they have extra... So, they remembered a lot of what they saw and what happened to them. Under hypnosis. Even if you don't buy it, the story is beyond nuts. They drew pictures there's drawings of like some of the stuff they saw or some of the devices that were used on them. And then they also experienced strange physiological symptoms afterwards as well. Yep. Oh, and uh, Betty also saved her dress that had some like, her, she had a dress that was saved from that night and it had, some, it had like a strange unidentifiable substance on it. Maybe it was just Barney juice, you know? <laughs> it was purple. How <laughs> would his ejaculate be purple too?
1: I, I, don't know, I don't know where to go with this, but Barney's yeah. also got some green on him.
2: Oh, her dress was ripped. Okay. So, these aliens were pawing at her.
1: Yeah. But they did some experiments on her and if <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, I believe this was the first like mainstream abduction claim where humans are brought on the ship. Yeah. And also, uh, I believe it's on YouTube, if not YouTube, it's on the internet somewhere. There are videos of the audio from the hypnosis sessions where you can hear this grown man, Barney, weep like a child and scream in fear as he's remembering under hypnosis what happened to him and describing uh, the aliens. It's uh, yeah. I did watch it a long time ago. It's, it's, it'll give you uh, the heebie-jeebies. But let me tell you uh, Rob's reasoning for putting this at number seven. Okay. Quote, the best thing that the Hills did following their encounter was to reach out to the Air Force and other investigative bodies. That's how like...
2: To me, yeah. that's how you know they're telling the truth because the Air Force would come down on you like a hammer yeah. if you wasted their time.
1: Yeah. Why waste their time in the first place? Yeah. They're not looking for that kind of heat. No. And this is 1961. I mean, UFOs and aliens were a thing but they're not a thing like they are today where like I just don't it would be, know it'd what... It'd be
2: different if Bar- all the pictures of Barney Hill had him wearing t-shirts with UFOs on and that said like, take me to your leader or beam me up. Like... Yeah. These
1: weren't people who were all about UFO, that UFO life. And those weren't even really things at that time, I no. don't think. But, but yeah, let me finish Rob's reasoning here. He also says that this is a multiple witness case and a great deal of the information obtained from the Hills during hypnosis matched. This case would be strengthened had additional eyewitnesses come forward reporting seeing a UFO. After all, it did follow the Hills for over 50 miles, according to them. So, if this thing followed them for 50 miles, you'd think someone else would have seen it. No one else ever, according to my notes, no one else ever claimed seeing UFO that night. So, yeah, that's the hills. You can see the marker on the road where they saw the UFO. There's a division, division of historical resources marked the site in 2011 with a historical marker. Number seven, the Betty and Barty Hill incident. Good job, Brandon. Okay, let me see.
2: I know another one. Yeah, you do. How about the fire in the sky story? I cannot remember his name, but it's, he, he was working in lo- like lumber and he was
1: missing for a day or two. Travis Walton incident. Travis Walton, yes. Number nine. We're pretty close there. This is 1975. Travis Walton was working with a timber stand improvement crew in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona. Now, that, that's just a funny name. Snowflake, Arizona. You know that they had to be doing that to be ironic, right? When they named that place. It does snow some places in Arizona. Fuck off. Why do you have to ruin (laughs) my joke? Sorry. Okay. So, he's working there in Arizona, Uh 1975. So, while riding a truck with six of his co-workers, they encountered a saucer-shaped object hovering over the ground approximately 110 feet away, making a high-pitched buzz. Now, imagine you're sitting in a truck with your six buddies and you see a saucer 100 feet is not that far away and you all see it and it's making a high-pitched noise. Walton jumped out of the truck and approached the object. Big mistake, by the way. A beam of light. Yeah, why the fuck would you do that? Yeah. Unless he was, you know, had some beers in him maybe and was feeling macho. Hey, I'll take care of these stupid kids. Get the fuck out of here. Every one of these encounters is a man
2: (laughs) trying to defend his masculinity against what he thinks is an aggressive
1: driver. (laughs) Or just some damn kids. A beam of... So, he goes and checks out this... UFO 100 feet away. He grabs a tire iron. A beam of light suddenly appeared from the craft and knocked him unconscious. The other six men were frightened and drove away. So, this has six witnesses right off the bat. Those guys are bitch friends by the way. Oh, yeah, big time. So, Walton, he was knocked out by this beam of light. He later awoke, awoke in a hospital-like room. Ooh, keep... Hos- hospital-like is not a good start to a room. No,
2: Something's no. gonna get stabbed in you. <laughs> So, he's being observed there by
1: three short bald creatures. (laughs) (laughs) So, he's he is at a hospital, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He fought with them until a human wearing a helmet led Walton to another room where he blacked out as three other humans put a clear plastic mask over his face. Walton has claimed he remembers nothing else until he found himself walking along a highway with the flying saucer departing above him. Whether or not this is real... Hell of a story. Hell of a story. And I believe that he thinks it's real. So, still fucked up. The case received a lot of attention at the time because it was treated as a missing persons murder case because he, w- he had been missing for a while. Yeah. Many skeptics have come out against the case, including Philip J. Class, who offered one of the logging crew members 10,000 to come out against Walters, but he refused. Each member of the logging crew has passed polygraph examinations and have stuck to their stories as to what happened. So, six witnesses, even turned down $10,000 and took polygraph examinations to stick by the claim that they yeah. saw this happen to him. And walkers stick together. Oh, yeah. Was that a pun? No. Because of sticks? No. Well,
2: I didn't think of that, but no. I just mean like, and you're out there, it's just you and your bros and the trees.
1: And the sticks. And the sticks. You learn to stick together. And to love each other softly. Yeah. Recent investigations, the National Forest where this happened in Arizona have shown that some trees in the area of the sighting have grown at twice the rate of trees in the surrounding area. Hmm. Rob's reasoning, Rob from Our Strange Skies, his reasoning for putting this at number nine is that the Travis Walton abduction is seen as one of the most credible close encounter cases on record. It's ranked at nine because there is only one eyewitness to the abduction itself, Travis Walton. However, the case seems highly credible given the number of people that witnessed Travis get shot with a blue beam of light. So, you have to remember there's two phases to this. Mm -hmm. All seven of these guys, including Travis, saw this UFO, they saw the blue light come out and hit him. Everything after that, you only have Travis as a witness. And this is where the movie, the light, uh, what is it? Fire in the Sky? Yeah. Was based on.
2: He originally titled the story, Fire in My Ass. (laughs) (laughs) Because they did all kinds of uh, wacky stuff to him, didn't they? Yeah, that's the word, wacky. They always just go for the crotch.
1: The as soon and as you the... get
2: on there, they're like they're like young boys in the back of a car. They're just pawing at you and immediately going under the belt. But they want the seed, right? Isn't that like usually the theory? They come from other solar systems or galaxies for our little genitals. So, th- there must be something really like mwah, about jizz. Uh, they the can only you know it's like uh it's like when you go to the northeast and someone's like oh did you have crab cakes you know you can only get them there that's where the it's where the crab's fresh it's like hey have you had manges lately <laughs> uh, you gotta go to Earth it's the only place to have
1: manges. well you know the vast majority of abduction claims involve let's just call it I don't I mean sexual abuse essentially right alien sucking and fucking like experimentation on that so. If this is all real or even some of it's real... Aliens are real horny. Yeah. All the time.
2: I mean, what... And wha- they're a little bit uh, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. You know, the part about the aliens abducting people to like whatever mate with them or have them oh, create yeah, baby. like alien hybrid babies. Oh, God damn, yeah. The problem with that is they're just abducting random people who, you know, probably don't want this to happen to them. If you put a couple ads online, there's tons of people that would say like, yeah, I'm totally cool. You don't have to knock me out or anything. I'll walk on the UFO and I'll. you can put whatever on me, you can pull it out of me or, Ugh. or I can hump this like gray alien with a wig on. Whatever you want, I'll do it. There's a lot of people who would be willing to do it. Or how about just break into a sperm bank? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a lot better idea. <laughs>
1: Or just put up an ad and say, just leave your sperm in the hollow hole of this tree at this time tomorrow and somebody would do it. There's somebody who would do it. Yeah. They just like the hunt. And who doesn't? What is your take on the Travis Walton and and the Betty and Barney Hill? Oh, like do I believe them? And I know you and I are not experts, we don't have all the facts, but like based on what you know, would you say the likelihood is high or medium or low? I think
2: in general... When someone says that they have had something like this happen to them, like unless it's just absolutely absurd or, the the, you know, there's huge holes in their story that you can expose with like logic or facts, like if there's any kind of supporting evidence, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt and just say like everything they're saying happened is the way they experienced it. And I think that's the key is like saying I believe that that's the way they experienced it or a way that they remember it. Because I actually think that like some of the guys on last podcast on the left, that that close encounters are as much a psychic phenomenon as a physical phenomenon.
1: Yes. Let's expand on that for a second. Let's say that there's some psychedelic kind of element to these things. So, let's say Betty and Barney Hill did experience everything. Everything they said was 100% fact, but it happened in some like alternate plane or something. Or it was done to them in their minds, right? Right. So, it's not like they took drugs or they, or, or they dreamed all this up, but someone implanted it and I'm just fucking spitballing, bro. But I think it's possible like that everyone's right, that the people who don't believe them are right because it didn't happen. It didn't physically happen. They didn't see it right. happen. But Betty yeah. and Barney Hill,
2: you know, sure as shit, saw something and felt something and yeah, to them it's 100% real, but to another person for whatever scientific beyond science reason we don't understand like, yeah. didn't experience it.
1: And, they're, and everybody's right. And let's keep this in mind too, I think we said this 10 episodes ago as well, that I would say in 99 to 100% of these cases, no one was better off.
2: Yeah, th- uh, that's the other thing I was going to say. Like these are people yeah. who are not into UFOs to begin with. Travis Walton was a forestry worker. I don't think they typically go like, you know what would really improve my life. I'm going to tell everybody that aliens pick me up and they abuse the hell out of me. Like, I'm going to stick to it no matter what. Like, I'll lose my job, people laugh at me, I could lose my family, my friends. There's no money in this for me at all. Yeah. Nothing in my life will ever be the same. Speaking of no money, I'm looking at a picture of him from 2019 uh, in the International UFO Congress in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, he's, he's alive and he looks healthy and stuff but... This is not a dude who's like, you know, driving an expensive sports car and laughing all the way to the bank
1: on his (laughs) alien abduction story. So, you said that you don't think people working in forestry are likely to make claims like that? I think the
2: like salt of the earth, people who are just going about their like regular normal people business, people who aren't like fucking... Right. If an Instagram follower tells me they got abducted, (laughs) I'm not buying that shit.
1: Well, you know, Travis Walton had a lot of stuff done to his body and probably things put inside of him too. And if you're into that sort of thing... You should check out porn. <laughs> you should check out porn, holy shit. That's true and you should also check out our latest Patreon bonus episode about the weirdest things ever found on X-Ray because Brandon, can you just in like three or four words attest to the fact that it will... You're not going to believe it. <laughs> okay. I saw it and I still don't believe it. You can find that at patreon.com slash So, let's keep going yeah. here. We have nine, the Travis Walton incident which is also known as Fire in the Sky. Seven, Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. Uh, let me skim through here, see if you know another one of these. Well, I'm excited to learn
2: about new ones.
1: Yeah, so why don't I just... Yeah, just go ahead because I, any guess I okay. have is
2: not going to be very...
1: I'll say that if I had been guessing this list, I might have said Whitley Strieber, which is... Oh, uh, yeah. The communion uh, author. But it was just him, right? I do remember in the book he wrote about some house guests that saw, it and also his his uh, hypnotherapist, things like that. I don't know. He, he's not in the top ten. It's not in here. Okay. Well, let's just let's start learning. Yeah, I'm just going to start at the top. So number ten, the Herbert Shermer abduction. Uh, you heard of this somebody one? Somebody grabbed a nerd. <laughs> it's always the nerds. So this is number ten, Herbert Shermer, on December third, nineteen sixty seven. A 22-year-old police officer named Herbert Schirmer, wait, 22 years old, Herbert, I'm already not buying There's it.
2: There's no way this dude doesn't wear thick as <laughs> hell glasses. Oh, and like God. all the guys who bullied, in, bullied him in high school, like, what are you going to do to be Officer Schirmer?
1: <laughs> he wasn't an officer in high school no, yet. No, when he
2: an officer, they're still bullying
1: him. Oh. Officer Wormer. Well, this guy who who we're making a friend out of right now, mm-hmm. he was on routine patrol at night in the sleepy town of Ashland, Nebraska at around 2.30 a.m. He noticed some red flashing lights that he first assumed to be from a truck, but upon closer inspection, he came across a disc-shaped object with porthole windows from which the red light was coming from. So, he's seeing a disc-shaped object with red flashing lights inside. Mm-hmm. It wasn't long before the object rose up and disappeared. Shermer noticed that it was now after three a.m., despite the encounter having lasted only a few minutes. So he lost about a half hour there. That's not a good sign. He would return to the station and write in the logbook, "Saw a flying saucer at the junction of highways six and sixty-three. Believe it or not!" (laughs) Exclamation point.
2: Fucking nerd. Believe it or not, and that had an exclamation point, just like Ripley's.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's kind of cute. Getting cute in the logbook. (laughs) As his shift wore on. His head began to ache more and more and he heard a buzzing sound. The case would come across the desk of the Condon Committee, a scientifically-led study of the University of Colorado funded by the government. Under hypnosis, Shermer would reveal that he followed a pair of five-foot-tall beings with cat-like eyes onto the ship. They toured him around the ship and told him their purpose before he returned to his car. This case earned Shermer a serious amount of ridicule. He retired from the force and lived in obscurity for the rest of his life. God damn. But let's be honest, he probably was going to live in the rest of, <laughs> in obscurity for the rest of his life anyway. And he's stuck
2: <laughs> by that story. The little cat boys gave him a tour of his ship and told them their purpose, like their mission. Do you know what their mission was? Um, let's see. It sounds like their mission was to ruin this guy's life. No, it, it doesn't mention that.
1: But that would explain where his 30 minutes went. But you're like, why? If the aliens are going to bring you on and give you a tour of the ship anyway, then why like erase your memory and shit? Yeah. Just don't bring them on the ship. (laughs) Or at least grab some of that earthling jizz before you go. Yeah, of course. It's like being at the cash register and grabbing a candy bar on your way out. It's right there. Just fucking do it. Live a little. You only YOLO once, Brandon. That's right. As you say. That's what I always say. So, Rob's reasoning here. Shermer was an outstanding eyewitness, completely down to earth, well-educated, a war veteran, and a trained observer. This case is ranked last on this list because it's only a single eyewitness case. Yeah, Only one witness but the witness himself is very credible.
2: Anybody who sticks to that story even after
1: it screws
2: up their whole life, like, well, I
1: gotta believe him. And that's the thing. Like, you gotta believe he at least believes it, right? And I love the science of hypnotherapy. Brandon, tell the folks at home what is hypnotherapy. We've kind of been talking about it, but I don't think we've like point blank explained what it is.
2: I'm not really sure of the mechanics of it, but I think like a a trained therapist puts you into a hypnotic state and then they walk you through, you recreate uh, traumatic experiences. As your subconscious remembers. Yeah. Sorry. From your like a, you basically relive them out loud. So, a lot of the, there's tons of audio on YouTube you can listen to. I remember as a kid checking out the like Whitley Strieber uh, books from the library and reading Mm -hmm. transcripts of uh, the audio for these and these people relive out loud some pretty messed up stuff. I mean, they're either going for an Academy Award or some pretty crazy stuff happened to them that only seems to come out under hypnosis. Yeah.
1: Okay, so let's keep it moving. That was number 10. You already got nine with Travis Walton. Mm -hmm. Let's move to eight. This is the Lonnie Zamora incident. Why can't these people ever have normal names? The Lonnie Zamora incident. Well, Betty and Barney Hill are like the most boring, regular old names you got. And I'm going to say before I read this that Our Strange Guys has done a full deep dive into this topic on episode 14 of their podcast. So, let's give you a summary though. The Lonnie Zamora incident happened in 1964. A Sicaro, New Mexico police officer was in pursuit of a speeder heading out of town. His attention was drawn to a conical blue flame and a loud roaring sound. He broke off the pursuit of the speeder and approached the flame, assuming that the mayor's old dynamite shack was going to explode. <laughs> That's a
2: that is a true out in New Mexico problem to have. Yeah,
1: I hate it when I'm on my way to work and I have to stop because I see oh. God damn the mayor's his dynamite shack's gonna explode if I don't go over there
2: come home like all completely covered black with soot and soot. char and char and your wife is like, what the hell happened to you today? Like, oh, fucking dynamite, dynamite shack, shack, again. shack got me again. Gotta get on that mayor about keeping that thing locked up. Soot is a hell of a word,
1: right? Yeah. Zamora, he thought this blue flame was the mayor's old dynamite shack about to explode like we just said. That's why they made that guy the mayor. So it took him a couple of attempts, Zamora the main person here, to get up a small hill. But when he finally did, he noticed what he first believed to be an overturned car about 200 yards away. Hmm. There were two people outside this object. As he got closer, it became clear that it was an oval-shaped object that had landed on the sand. hmm The two, quote, people had been startled by Zamora and retreated back into their ship. Zamora exited the vehicle, his vehicle, to get a better look at it, but retreated once he heard the roaring sound and blue flame became visible. The object lifted up until it became silent and flew away. So, an investigation of the area turned up burnt brush, impressions in the sand from the legs of the craft and additional eyewitnesses that saw a similar object in the area shortly before Zamora's sighting. And like Shermer, number 10, Zamora retired from the force not long after the incident due to ridicule because yeah. <laughs> all the fucking bullies at the <laughs> at the force are endlessly... What the fuck is up? Mocking- what is wrong?
2: Like... Okay, if you told me you were dead serious, stuck by your story, I got abducted by a UFO, that is the most awesome thing you could ever tell me. That'd be the happiest thing I'd ever heard out of your mouth. Why would... So, that's what it takes to get you to like me? Yeah. Who would shit on somebody for that? It's badass. It's the 60s, bro. Did he see the
1: space aliens? Yeah, remember when he walked up, he thought it was two people outside but when he got close enough, they were startled and ran back to their ship. They scrambled back in? Yeah. Well, go ahead and uh,
2: if you have more on this, uh, go ahead but I think I have a a theory on it.
1: All I have left is the reasoning. So, remember that he stuck to his story and was ridiculed left the force. Yeah. Zamora's case is one that stumped most of Project Blue Book's investigators. Zamora, like Shermer, uh, the number 10 guy, was a highly credible individual a trained observer, Korean war veteran. The only reason this case is not ranked higher is because it is a single eyewitness case. What was your theory? Well,
2: my theory is I've never heard of and I, I, it just could be to my like limited, I say limited like I haven't been reading about UFOs since I was like 12. I think limited still spot on though for you, spot on. I haven't heard about many UFOs that have a visible exhaust from their propulsion system. Yeah, And this one not only has visible exhaust from what seems like a propulsion system but it also sounds similar to the type of exhaust or the flames that you would see from uh, fossil fuel, either jet fuel or some kind of gas. That makes me believe that it could be some kind of experimental aircraft and what he saw were two guys who they're out flying their experimental aircraft and they stop for a smoke break and then they're like, oh shit, it's the cops. And they had a
1: uh, hop back in there and zoom out. You talked about visible exhaust. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that every time I'm done recording this podcast with you, I walk out of my office and my wife sees me and she says it's there's a visible, visible exhaust. exhaust. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so you mentioned the exhaust, which is different than most UFO stories. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if some, all, a few of the history's UFO claims are true, is it all the same species of alien? No. A visitor?
2: No. No bunch of different ones. This is like a vacation destination.
1: They told you this is where they all go for manges. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Manges, the aliens, they're welcome here. Come on in. I got plenty plenty to go around. Gross. Let's go to another one. So, number seven was Betty and Barney Hill. Yep. Kind of low actually
2: but we'll see how these yeah, others... we're moving into extremely credible but unknown territory which is riveting. So, this one, the Stonehenge
1: incident. Well, number six, have you heard of this? It sounds familiar, but no. After closing up his liquor store and heading home for the night, George Obarski. <laughs> Wait, after closing <laughs> up his liquor store? Yeah. That's not the start to a credible story. He cut through North Hudson Park in North Bergen, New Jersey, like he did on most nights. Oh, this isn't the Stonehenge. No. Okay. I can't remember why it's called that. We'll see. Let's see. So in the early mornings of January 12th, 1975, a strange lighted craft flew alongside George's car and landed ahead of him in a field to his left. George stopped his car and watched as a ladder came down from the bottom of the craft and approximately ten strange figures emerged. They each carried a bag and small shovel and proceeded to collect oh, soil samples in the area." That's quite a crew. Yeah, well at least they're collecting soil samples. <laughs> they're the nuns instead of ass. <laughs>
2: they start running at him with that shovel <laughs> with their eyes on his ass. Or no, is on his ballsack. They're just after whatever's down there. Yeah, they just want to know that they've violated somebody. Yeah, they're they're the the delicacy, the taste that they're after is is violation.
1: So okay, he see he's driving home. He sees the craft uh, UFO. Ten strange figures come out. They're getting soil samples with a shovel, mm-hmm. which would be fucking scary, by the way. If, yeah. if there was any part of you that thought this might be an alien species. He kept it to himself for many months. Yeah. Until by happenstance, abduction researcher Bud Hopkins, Bud Hopkins is who I was thinking of earlier when I thought it was Whitley Streeper's hy- hypnotherapist, that was Bud Hopkins. Mm-hmm. So, abduction researcher Bud Hopkins, he just happened to be in his liquor store, overheard him rambling about the incident. So, through Hopkins and veteran investigator Ted Blosher, they were able to track down additional eyewitnesses to the case at the nearby Stonehenge apartment building across the street. Oh. A little, <laughs> not quite as exciting no, as Stonehenge. not what I was thinking. <laughs> A number of strange lights and other weird phenomenon would be reported in North Hudson Park in 75 and 76, but Obarsky's, I love that name, Obarsky, his claims remain the most credible. So, essentially, liquor store guy sees these 10 figures collecting dirt. Yeah. And he is fucking terrified. He's terrified. He's a little freak like, why does it take 10? Ten... Even if they weren't aliens, by the way, 10 guys collecting dirt in the middle of the night. I
2: was going to say like, this is, you guys, you, 10, this is overkill. Just one yeah. dude, grab some dirt, let's roll. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why do I need 10? Ten... <laughs> That's a great point. Why?
2: Unless they were all getting their own scoops to eat on the way home. <laughs> Everybody get out and grab some dirt for the ride home. It's a long... Get out grab a it's snack. It's like, a long ride back to Zeta Reticuli. It's like stopping at a 7-Eleven for snacks. Yeah. look like, oh, my stomach hurts. I ate, I ate so horrible on this road trip. What'd you have? I got dirt at planet Earth. You should have stuck with the calm, man. It's like getting a chili dog at the Easy Mart, man. You got the grossest thing you could get. You got Earth dirt? You're gonna get fucking <laughs> diarrhea, dude.
1: <laughs> 10 of them were out there doing it. I disagree that, that it's the grossest thing they could have gotten on earth but yeah, you know, it's either that or they were trying to intimidate the guy. I mean, what other explanation I mean, is there? It's
2: really strange. I would never say like a good way to intimidate me is get 10 dudes out there to start digging in the dirt but it <laughs> well, is when you think about it in the night if you stumbled upon just 10 human men silently digging in the dirt, you would turn around immediately and head the other way. They're digging your grave. You would walk really fast away.
1: Yeah, it does not specify whether or not they acknowledged him in any way, but I feel like it's scarier that they didn't. Hey, dude, want some dirt? So, the reasoning, Rob's reasoning, the Stonehenge incident is one of the best reported cases of the last 50 years. The additional eyewitnesses found by the investigators brings validity to George Obarski's case, but unfortunately, he was the only one to see the actual beings firsthand. Others saw the UFO. Mm -hmm. Still, this remains one of the best cases due to the physical evidence left behind Mainly the holes that George Obarski was able to find in the park, which were confirmed by park workers. (laughs) They they would look like bite marks. Yeah, how does does holes in the park prove anything? But I guess that coupled with everything else is enough to to land it here at number six.
2: If he was dipping into his own supply at the liquor store, those could have been gophers.
1: The people he saw? (laughs) The people getting the dirt and leaving the holes. That was number six? That was number six, so we're halfway through. But you know what we're not halfway through? My life, I hope. You're not going to live to 200, Brandon. (laughs) We are not halfway through podcast reviews and reading them on the show, but we're going to be halfway through them in about 90 seconds or so. That was terrible. So, why why don't we start now (laughs) to to stay on schedule? (laughs) Just next time, take a hard left with that wheel and start doing it. Okay. I'm going to read you two podcast reviews and this is interesting because we have a rare negative review. Okay. Rare negative review of me. We get negative reviews for you all the time. Oh, yeah. So, I have one bad review and then we're going to cleanse our palette with a a good hearty (laughs) review at the end. Good ball slathering. (laughs) (laughs) So, the first one is a negative review. It comes from Monkey Jude on Apple Podcast. Okay. Brandon has not read this review yet. No. Quote, too hateful. I enjoy... (laughs) Should I continue? Yeah. I enjoy the concept of the show and the guys can be really funny. I just really don't like how hateful they are to a large majority of people who would probably like their show. Okay. If they could put their personal views to the side, this would be a much better show. Uh, I will
2: stick my personal views in the recording I make in my own home all the live long day. Yeah, I don't understand. So, I'm supposed to share someone else's views or just views that you would like? God, I hope you're still listening because stop listening. Don't ever listen again.
1: Well, I think the idea and I'm not defending them. I think what they would say if they were sitting here talking to us is, I just want to hear a top 10 list with the facts. No politics? Yeah, no no politics, no
2: personal opinions. There's an open invitation to eat my ass. (laughs) And also, too hateful. I mean... It's really hateful to leave someone a review and say, you know, you'd be really funny if you just like, you're basically doing the equivalent of saying shut up and sing.
1: But also, I mean, because they say that we're too hateful to a large majority of people who'd probably, I mean, when I read that, I wonder like, do they know that I'm fucking around when I tell people to unsubscribe <laughs> from yeah, the maybe, show?
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's true. they like, yeah. to this
1: day, they've still
2: like resisted unsubscribing. Now, if that's true, please stick around. But yeah, if you think I shouldn't share my opinion... On my only platform to do that, you can just kiss my white ass.
1: And by the way, if you have constructive criticism for our show, just send us an email at tennispod at gmail.com. Yeah,
2: constructive criticism,
1: great. Telling me not to share
2: my opinion is never going to fly.
1: So, let's get Brandon on the record. Let me write this down. Yeah, ass available Eat to my be
2: ass. consumed. <laughs> God, Jesus Christ. Aliens, people who don't like podcasts, whatever.
1: It's on the menu. Just unsubscribe from our show. How about that? Oh, yeah. Or unsubscribe. Yeah. But also just change that two star review you left, Monkey Jude, to a five star on your own. Wait, wait, what was Is it Monkey? Monkey Jude. Okay. So, Monkey Jude. Thank you, Monkey Jude. Uh, I guess. So, the next review is much better and shorter. It comes from Caleb Thomas, 0302. Here we go. I'm going to read it just as it's stated. Okay. Is it in all caps? Because that usually means you yell it at me. It's not all caps, but there is a, an ending punctuation. That is going to lead to me yelling at you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Enjoyed every moment I was listening. It amped up at the end
2: with a bunch of exclamation marks. Enjoyed every
1: moment I was listening. Is that it?
2: That's it. That was really great. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Caleb. See, that's a review, people. That's how you do it. That's how you give (laughs) constructive criticism. (laughs) I loved everything about it. Don't change a thing. Don't change a thing. Also, by the way, on a serious note, if you really do have constructive criticism, in addition to emailing us, I also invite you to take our listener survey at tennishpod.com survey. And if you want your review right on this show, go write us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. So, let's get back to the list here. We have 10 through 6, nailed. You ready for number 5? I'm ready. This one is a little more famous, I think. It's the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Okay, it doesn't ring a bell yet. This is 1955, so earliest we've covered so far. At around 7 p.m. in August 1955, Billy Ray Taylor, a lodger of Miss Glenny Lankford, went outside to the well on the Lankford's property for a drink of water. He came rushing back into the house, claiming to have seen a flying saucer land in a field nearby. Everyone dismissed it, but an hour later, they were not so sure. At around 8 p.m. that night, the Lankford's dog began to bark wildly. Billy Ray and Elmer Sutton went out back to see what was going on and saw a glow approaching the house. He was created by a three foot tall being <laughs> with a large head, big floppy ears. Oh, wait. And long gangly arms with talons.
2: Hold on. Let me try to picture this. Three feet? No, draw it. I want you to draw it. A three foot tall, large head. <laughs> this is an audio medium. I'm going to post your picture. Okay. Well, well I'm, my, the paper I have is yellow. Okay. Legal fucking paper. forget
1: it, everybody. Trying to do something fun here.
2: It'll look terrible. See, you're being too hateful. And I already googled it so I have a picture of what this critter looks like up in front of me already. I've been tainted.
1: Big floppy ears and long gangly arms with talons. It looks kind of like, uh, what's that guy's
2: name? The Disney movie, The Little Alien Stitch. He kind of looks like that but with really long arms and legs. Let me look him up. He looks cute as hell. They ought to sell a toy of him. The Kentucky Goblin. Fuck, he does kind of look like Stitch. Cute, right? This picture is cute but goddamn, if I saw this thing. Holy out. shit, this is terrifying. It kind of has like Yoda ears that point upward at an ankle. Its eyes are nearly on the side of its head like a newt. Mm-hmm. Its head is very round. It seems to have a very wide thin slit for a mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Tell me about the butt.
2: <laughs> I can't see the butt but I have to assume there isn't much of one. Oh, yeah. This is not a good build. The rest of the body is, uh, is not attractive. Oh, look, here's a side view
1: right here and his back is completely flat. He's got no ass. But in this rendering, there's no ass. So, let's, th- it's possible there was an ass on the thing. Anyway, this, this creature that we've been describing, this guy sees it in the backyard of the house. That's what the dogs are barking at. Yeah. So, he walks out there. Actually, two, two guys walk out there. He says, get the That's fuck here. out of here. The Bing held its hands up as it slowly approached, as if to surrender. But Billy Ray and Elmer, the two guys, mm-hmm. each grabbed their guns and opened fire <laughs> on the creatures. Of course. Oh, there's multiple creatures. Sorry. Get out of here, space critters. They shot at the creatures, but each time they did, they would perform somersaults. <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> Okay, yeah, <it's laughs> and like went, back and went shit. back
1: into the brush.
2: That is adorable.
1: <laughs> they moved to the front of the house. To see if they had killed one of
0: the
1: This should be the next Disney Pixar film yeah. right here. So they were shooting at it. The some the, the bitches were doing somersaults. <laughs> and... Ha, fuck you! <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they moved to the front of the house to see if they had killed one of the creatures, but when Billy Ray went out the front door, a clawed hand grabbed his hair, and he opened fire again. This is definitely the most action-packed <laughs> yeah. story so far. He feels it grab his hair, he starts shooting wildly. Get the fuck off me, you goddamn sea alien. The family would fend off those creatures for over three hours. Whoa, like wrestling with them? I don't know. These things were terrorizing the house for three hours. Are they sure this wasn't gremlins? It sounds (laughs) a lot like gremlins. I do see it on my Google image search result. I see some gremlins here, so I think some others have made this comparison. Uh, Let's see. So, they fought these these guys off for three hours until they could make it to their vehicle and run into town to the local police, fearing that the family was a danger to the area. (laughs) I like how the family's immediately the bad guys (laughs) to the local police. So, the police went out to investigate and found multiple bullet holes in the home Uh and allegedly found a glowing substance they believed to be blood. It was moonshine. (laughs) That's what those guys were drinking. After the police left, the creatures returned again and the family held <laughs> off the creatures again until morning. <laughs> ha ha, fuck you again! <laughs> Can't shoot me, wee wee! I just love, at no point does this explain what the fuck they even wanted and that's the end of the note so, it kind of makes it sound like they fought them off again until morning and then they just left and never saw them again. <laughs> <laughs> I said, all right, we're tired. So, I have to admit, when I read this story, it sounds the least credible, right? Yeah. But here's Rob's reasoning for putting it at number five. There were 12 eyewitnesses to the incident inside the residence. That's the most witnesses so far. Mm -hmm. The police also noted how scared the family was at the time of the incident and further investigation would uncover additional UFO sightings in the area leading up to the incident. So, there's a decent amount of, you know, backup to the claim. But the claim itself, like the fighting off for multiple hours, (laughs) multiple times, just... Jesus Christ. And it's a pretty great horror movie they've got set up there. You remember at the top of the show when you told me or you questioned why anybody would bully someone who came to them with, an, with a UFO alien story? Yeah, this one I'd probably give them some shit for. If I, if I came to you and, <laughs> and told you this story. And
2: when you told me they did backflips. <laughs> Somersaults. And we're just like, fuck it. Can't shoot me. <laughs> Fucking teasing you, grabbing you with their, ta- grabbing your hair with their talons. And then they probably still got some cum on their way out too. (laughs) He probably just left that out of the story. Like they're about to leave and like, oh shit, did you grab grab some jizz? (laughs) No, hold on, let me go grab some. (laughs) That was uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. This is in Kentucky, right? Because one of the images called the thing the Kentucky Goblin. Yes. Plus, as soon as you said their names were Elmer and Bully Ray, I knew that this took place in Hopkinsville, Kentucky.
1: I wonder if uh, Mothman... Because Mothman's like super credible in terms of eyewitnesses. Yeah, he's in West Virginia, right? Yeah, but he, I guess he's not considered a humanoid alien. Is he not humanoid? He'd be considered a humanoid fucking moth. He has a man-shaped body, doesn't he?
2: I mean, aside from the fucking wings sticking out. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he does. God damn, he does, yeah. Gross. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's multiple (laughs) times you've moaned with ecstasy. And I know they make that kind of porn hey, for somebody. Well, some of the feedback I've gotten recently is you need more sex and... and uh, sex and aliens. Sex appeal on the show, so I'm trying. In this next story, we got to make one of the aliens wearing something spicy.
1: Yeah. So, let's see here how it goes. Number four, the Varenas. It's spelled V-O-R-O-N-E-Z-H. Varenes incident. Number four. Varenas? Varanas, yeah. It's a Russian name, right? You sure. This is the most recent that we've covered so far, 1989. I was a teeny baby and you were in your, I think, had you retired yet from full-time work? What year point? was
2: this? 89. I was in second grade.
1: All right, we'll see uh, See if the people out there buy it. Yeah, it was in the Soviet Union. What?
2: Yeah, this is from the Soviet Union. Okay, so... This is in the, in the Cold War.
1: Okay, do you want me to fucking tell you the story or do you want to just keep... No, I'm gonna keep facts. just telling <laughs> things about Russia and history. <laughs> yeah, Keith, tell me a story. 1989, Russia. Three children at South Park in the Russian city of Vereniz. Mm-hmm. noticed a pink light in the sky that turned into a dark red ball. <laughs> okay. As it got closer, you need to have that checked out. It was about five to nine meters wide and moving in their direction. So now I got some Russian names to read to you. Vesya Surin. Genya Blenov and Julia Shalakova mm-hmm. watched the, watching the ball as it approached and hovered in circles about 12 meters over the park. Children could see grass being disturbed under the sphere as it moved. Suddenly, the sphere floated away and returned a few minutes later. By this time, a crowd of about 40 adults had gathered and watched as a small hatch opened on the bottom of the sphere. So, yes, stop there. There's a fucking sphere floating around. It's disturbing the grass under it. Now, you have a bunch of kids and 40 adults that are watching a door and a hatch open. Mm -hmm. So, let's continue. Hatch opened on this thing. A three-eyed creature peered through the opening. After briefly scanning the terrain, the creature disappeared back inside and the object landed in the park. He's like, not enough semen here. Oh, it landed or it left? It Looked out from its door, shut the door, and mm-hmm. then flew off a little bit and uh, landed. To the shock of the witnesses, a door opened up on the bottom of the sphere. Again? Yeah. Okay. The, but now the, the sphere is landed on the ground. Okay. The creature, or another similar one, walked out and into the park with a bizarre boxy robot. There are robots today. Awesome. My apologies, I missed it. The creature wore silvery overalls, bronze boots, and a large disc on its chest. What's the disc? Uh, it had wide but small domed head that rested directly on its shoulders and two white eyes with a red one in between them. The children guessed the being to be nearly three meters tall.
2: That's tall. Three meters. What is that? It's like
1: nine, nine or ten feet tall. Goddamn, that is tall. Uh, the creature uttered something, so we finally have a speaking incident, and a glowing rectangle appeared on the ground in front of it. This story's fucking crazy so far, and there's so many witnesses. The creature uttered something and a glowing rectangle appeared on the ground. He uttered another phrase, causing it to disappear.
2: He did it. <laughs> well,
1: everybody he to was like,
2: What the fuck? <laughs> no, yeah, that's how you make his
1: triangle appear. Okay. He's like mumbling something and they can't understand. Like, What? And they keep asking him, What? What are you saying? And he keeps saying it a little louder every time. And finally, when they get him to speak at a volume they can hear, they realized he was saying, Sign up for the Tennis Podcast Patreon at patreon.com slash Tennis Pod.
2: Oh, <laughs> stick him back in his UFO and kick him <laughs> out of there.
1: Okay, so he was saying a bunch of shit to get this rectangle <laughs> to disappear. Mm-hmm. So, he then adjusted something on the robot which caused it to start walking away. Terrified, a boy in the crowd began to scream. Yeah. But was paralyzed when the being turned in his direction. Light mm. shot from the creature's three eyes as it locked its gaze on the boy, <laughs> causing the crowd to panic. He gave him a glare <laughs> and stopped his ass cold. At that instant, the sphere, the robot, and the being simply disappeared. They disappeared into thin air. Five minutes later, they reappeared. But this time, the being had a meter-long tube in his hand and I guarantee <laughs> you- to beat the shit out of that kid.
2: <laughs> Fucking scream at me. Every one of these incidents, somebody's going after somebody. It's I, It's usually human on alien, but this guy.
1: I like how he, he disappeared to go and he was gone for five minutes. Get that tube. And the five, the five minutes was him throwing shit around his spacecraft trying to find where he left the tube. What's that fucking tube? Where's my fucking tire tube? But you know, it serves two purposes because after he beats the shit out of the kid, he's going to find one of those adults <laughs> and get, just get a sample out of him. <laughs>
2: Hold on, I need some jizz for the ride home, <laughs>
1: and some dirt for. Uh, I'm getting hungry. The kids love dirt. So he reappeared with the tube. He pointed it at a 16-year-old boy standing nearby. <laughs> so it wasn't me. It was that kid, <laughs> causing him to disappear entirely. The what boy the disappeared. Fuck? The creature then. No wait, I don't think the boy disappeared. He pointed it at the boy, and then the alien disappeared again. Oh God. No. 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 How badass would
2: it be if he vaporized the kid?
1: Well, I'm actually kind of confused by this sentence. I can't tell. This is what's written. Okay. The creature pointed his tube at mm-hmm. a 16-year-old boy standing nearby, causing him to disappear entirely, period. The next sentence says the creature then climbed back inside the landed craft. Yeah, that kid disappeared. That is awesome. The sphere ascended and flew off into the sky and the teenager reappeared. Oh, okay. Shit. Sorry, I forgot that last sentence. I guess that's
2: kind of cool too. Did they ask him where he went when he disappeared?
1: Well, Brandon, I don't think that kid would say it's badass.
2: (laughs) Like for a minute, he was in the most like disturbing, horrifying alternate dimension. Yeah, well, it's like in the Tommyknockers
1: when they would shoot the, they had a ray gun and you'd shoot it at someone and it would cause them to disappear, but they weren't really disappearing. They were actually being transported to a trash planet. Upside down? Okay, so here's Rob's reasoning and I can understand why this is so high because the number of eyewitnesses alone, 40 plus. And it
2: doesn't make any goddamn sense which if a bunch of people got together to make a UFO story up, they would make something up that made sense. This is not what they would come up with.
1: They saw the craft reappear and the being used the wand on the 16-year-old boy, the tube. Many have pointed to this case as Soviet propaganda. But it was investigated by famed French uologist Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée, who talked to many of the eyewitnesses firsthand. That's a crazy ass. I'd never heard of this. No, that was a
2: really good find.
1: Fucking nine foot tall creature with three eyes just walks around. There's a crowd of people watching him. Said, I don't like your face. Biggity bat.
0: And he
2: disappears.
1: All right, we got three more. Top three most credible. The Reverend Gill sightings is number three. This is in the 50s now. In the late 50s, Papua New Guinea became the host of numerous UFO sightings, but the most dramatic was that of Father William Gill and his mission at Bohani. Bohani, At about 6.45 on June 26th, Father Gill saw a bright white light to the northwest as 38 people at the mission watched. A four legged disc shaped object that was approximately the size of five full moons, lined up end to end, hovered over the mission. On top of the object, they saw four human like figures that appeared to be performing some sort of task. Yeah, I'll fucking bet they were. I'll fucking bet they were performing a task. At times, one or more of the figures would vanish from from sight, only to reappear a few minutes later. At regular intervals, a beam of blue light shone upwards from the center of the craft. The object was visible until about 7.30 when it ascended into the clouds and vanished. At about 8.30, several smaller objects uh, appeared in the sky, and at 8.50, the first object returned. The four-hour sighting lasted until 10.50 when clouds moved in and blocked the view. So, you got over four hours, several large UFOs with uh, human-like figures on top of them performing... Yeah, quote some sort of task. I guess when I first listened, my
2: mind heard them being inside, but no, th- I'm looking at pictures of it, and they're like, it's like you know, like someone riding in the bed of a pickup. They're standing on the top. You can. Well, let's see... verify. Brandon's not looking at a picture. I'm looking at a drawing.
1: Yeah, he's oh, looking at a drawing. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, they're just sitting on the top. Looks like the Beatles playing their last concert. Maybe that's what they were doing, playing a concert up there.
1: Yeah, playing a concert. Well, it does say that they uh, were performing some sort of task and I, I, do, I do love how vague that is.
2: They were waxing the top. Huh? They were, that's the task. They were doing. They were waxing, cleaning and waxing the top of the saucer. <laughs> yeah,
1: something really boring and menial but to Are us it looks like... Are those guys watching us down there? Should we go <laughs> inside? The next day, the large object with the quote people on board and two of the smaller objects returned at about 6 p.m. The onlookers waved to the beings as they waved back. They tried to signal them to land but they never did. They never did land. By 6.30, the mission, under strict practice, went to dinner and then to evening church. Can you imagine living under such strict rules that there is a fucking UFO
2: with aliens standing on top of it waving at you and someone says it's dinner time and you just have (laughs) to leave? And then to evening church. Yeah. You have to sit and wait through church knowing that like, fuck, I might get out there and that UFO might be gone.
1: Also consider the fact that the very idea of church and the things you learn in church is <laughs> in question to everyone in there after what they just saw, right? <laughs> There was a lot of people in that church sweating that night. But I'll tell you, the, the Heaven's Gate folks would not be sweating. They'd be like, we
2: fucking told you! They would have never gone back inside for dinner.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, the reasoning here from from Rob. Father Gill's sighting is infamous in ufology. There are a large number of witnesses, all of whom seem credible. This case was investigated by the man himself, J. Allen Hynek, who Mm -hmm. considered it one of the most credible cases of any kind. Really cool one too. So, the man himself is calling it credible.
2: I've never heard of the aliens hanging out on top of the spacecraft before. And waving. (laughs) Waving like so innocently. What's up guys? It's like when two boats pass on the lake. Even though you don't know each other, you hold up your hand and wave, that's what they're doing.
1: I hate that shit.
2: I was telling my kid the other day that I don't like to wave and, and he made me feel bad about it. Who, did, who? Your kid? Yeah. I was like, I don't like to wave at people I don't know. You know, like random people in the neighborhood who like recognize your face or your car. Yeah, we don't, I, don't I know hate them. that. And they wave and say hello and I'm like, I was telling him, I don't like that. I don't like waving at somebody I don't know. What if that guy's a jerk? And he said like, well, you should be kind. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah Uh, all right i guess you get to be the dad now
1: yeah well when he grows up he'll realize there's not a kind person that's a myth yeah there are no kind people including him a
2: large majority of people would like you if you just kept your fucking mouth shut so you said
1: you don't like waving but do you wave anyway
2: yeah i feel bad (laughs) yeah
1: you got to okay we have two left number two is the year of the humanoids a whole 1973 year? Yeah, we got a whole year here. This is beginning in August 1973 and lasting until late December, so you know, roughly four months. The United States experienced a wave of very specific sightings of humanoids inside, or emerging from UFOs, approaching eyewitnesses and even giving chase to witnesses. It's like us chasing down people on Twitter. Hey, listen to our podcast, please. And this was all over the world. United States. OK. One of the most prominent cases occurred. In October, and involved a police chief, Jeff Greenshaw, had ventured to the town of Folkville. It's like the way you say folk folks. Folkville. You got to nail up. that, you got to nail that L. No, you don't have to. You just choose to, and it makes all of us fucking queasy. Yeah, well, that's what you got to do. No, you don't. Is what I'm saying. The town of Folkville to fo- so uh, this police chief he ventured to this town to follow up on reported sightings of UFOs. Mhm. Greenshaw, the police chief, spotted a metallic creature and pulled his vehicle to the side of the road. The creature moved toward the vehicle at first, but then turned and ran in the opposite direction. The Greenshaw gave chase for several minutes, but the creature only moved faster. He would lose sight of it when his car came off the road temporarily. So he was giving chase in his car, if that wasn't clear. Mm -hmm. And this thing was running away? It ran in the opposite direction. I think he ran into the
2: evil Terminator from Terminator 2. Because it was metallic. Yeah. And he could run
1: fast. So, th- this thing ran away, outran his car. It was around this time that the famed Pascagoula abduction took place as well. So, that, so what I just told you first was one story. We're moving right. on to a separate story now. Because this is a whole freaking year. Yeah. Let's see. Metallic creature outran this police chief. That's pretty crazy. So, separate story. The Pascagoula abduction took place, still part of the number two, 1973. Mm-hmm. Uh, On the evening of October 11th, 1973, 42-year-old Charles Hickson and 19-year-old Calvin Parker took the Jackson County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office, sorry, they told the Sheriff's Office they were fishing off a pier on the west bank of the river in Mississippi when they heard a whirring slash whizzing sound. They saw two flashing blue lights and an oval-shaped object up to 40 feet across and 8 to 10 feet high. Parker and Hickson, the, the two witnesses, claimed they were conscious but paralyzed. While well, three creatures took them aboard the object and subjected them to an examination before releasing them. I think Rob, when he was writing these notes, forgot the word ass in front of examination. Yeah. They were subjected to an ass examination before releasing them. So, those are two of many stories in 1973 involving humanoids. Now, the reason Rob put this uh, as number two, mm-hmm. there were over 50 reports of humanoids cited primarily in the southern and eastern portions of the U.S., the look of the humanoids varied greatly from metal men to ghostly-like spirits to whatever the hell <laughs> the Pascagoula aliens are. The sheer number of reports lends credibility to the sightings.
2: There are drawings of the, if you do a Google image search for Pascagoula abduction, but the drawings of these creatures, I've never seen anything like this. Oh, are you looking at the head with like the three horns the, sticking The him? head has, I don't know if those are eyes or not, but it's like... Some sort of protuberance. It's like a, it's almost like an antenna, but it sticks or an out. an udder. Yeah. But it sticks out um, horizontally uh, the same way that like the plugs stick out from a fire hydrant. Yeah. It's nuts. God. And this thing looks huge and uh, scaly and kind of stripey. Six feet tall. It kind of looks like that fucking monster that came out of the upside down in Stranger Things.
1: Yeah. Or our listener, Brian in Alaska. Looks kind of like him too. He might have said you were being hateful. Too hateful. Brandon, do you want to take a deep breath, maybe do a little stretch break before we hit our number one? It's a long one.
2: I can't. You can't hold me back from it
1: any longer. Okay. I've, I have def- I've done the opposite of hold you back from this information. I desire it now. The French UFO wave of 1954. We got a whole wave here as number one. You ready? Of 1954. Yes, okay. sir. France in 54 became a UFO mecca, as numerous witnesses would report seeing odd saucer-shaped UFOs, some of which would fire... You know, the damn aliens, by the way, you think after all these years they would have updated the uh, architecture of their ships. They're always saucers. (laughs) Saucers. Some of these saucers would fire beams of light at witnesses. Many would go on to report seeing strange humanoids as well, most of which were described as short beings that wore diving suits. The most dramatic encounter would come on September 10th, 1954. Marius de Wilde, a railway guardian, lived in a house by the tracks close to the railway station at Carobel, Nord, France. Mm -hmm. According to de Wilde, on the night of September 10th, his dog started barking at 10.30 p.m. De Wilde initially ignored the dog, but went outside with a flashlight after his dog continued to bark frantically. He walked toward the tracks and saw an object some six or seven meters away from him. Behind him, he could hear some steps. When he pointed the flashlight, the wild saw two small humanoid figures. I like when they're small better. Yeah. So he saw two of them, about one meter tall. When the light was pointed to their heads, it was reflected as if they were wearing a mirror helmet. Suddenly, a light being came off the object he saw on the tracks and left him paralyzed. Oh, got him with the Travis Walton. You know, that might be the worst of it. If you saw two aliens, you're shocked already, and then you're paralyzed and unable to move. Yeah. And then that's when they do the the experiments on you. Anyway, so he's paralyzed. He slowly looked back and saw a door opening at the object behind him. The beings aborted the object and it took off toward the sky, changing its colors in the meanwhile. By the way, if you're going to make up a UFO story, why add that little detail at the end that the ship was changing colors? Like, it's already a far-fetched thing. Just let the ship stay one color. Don't get greedy. Yeah. Keep your lies simple. Right. So when he recovered from being paralyzed, he attempted to tell his wife and then his neighbor of what he had just seen, but neither of them had seen or heard anything. He then tried the local police, which sent some police officers to his home, but DeWilde could not approach the point where everything happened because it made him feel physically sick, giving the officers a certainty that his story was not a hoax. Also, objects which are energized by battery, like his flashlight and telephone, stopped working. Before sunrise, investigators were all over the place taking it very seriously. Wait, his telephone? His telephone and flashlight and other battery-powered devices stopped working. And in addition, anytime he approached the site of where he saw everything, he would feel sick and he could not get close to it.
2: I mean, I know they did have battery-powered like phones like during World War II. It just seems kind of interesting that this dude, it was 1954?
1: hmm In France.
2: And this guy had uh, some kind of phone with him, battery-powered phone.
1: No, not on him. It was in the house.
2: Oh, because this was near his house.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. Okay, so this is number one. So, why is it number one? The French UFO... Sacre bleu, look at these little guys. <laughs> what does sacre bleu mean? It
2: means like holy god in French. It holy gars, sacre bleu, <laughs> look at these little guys. These I'm little team. shiny
1: boys, I'll follow you. Feeling very, very sick, wee. Oui, oui. <laughs> so, Someone hand me my handkerchief. I have diarrhea. And I don't know how French? to
2: say diarrhea with a French accent.
1: Yeah, I think it's just diarrhea. French UFO wave of 1954 is one of the most uniform UFO flaps documented. Now, can you remind me what a flap is in this context? A wave. A
2: a flap and a wave are very similar. Bunch of sightings going on at the same time. Bunch of...
1: Bunch of flapping going on at once. Yeah. Sounds like my house on a Saturday night, am I right? In fact, UFO investigator Amy Michael was able to plot most of the sightings on a map and found that sightings on particular days followed straight lines. The uniformity of the crafts and humanoids sighted have earned it the
2: number one. So, they would see the same craft moving presumably across the French country. Right. It followed a straight path. I've heard of other cases too where I think it might have been some of the the Phoenix Lights sightings where they could also trace some of the eyewitnesses accounts and, you know, follow. That was part of the credibility is that the, the accounts all came within like a determined path. I want to know well, more about the, uh, the little shiny guys. I Google yeah, so... image search this one and there are some, here I'll, uh,
1: I'll save this one and send you a copy of it as well. There's some cool Let images. Let read the description here. It's, when he pointed the flashlight, he saw two small humanoid figures about one meter tall. When the light was pointed to their heads, it was reflected back at him like their heads were some sort of mirror or a helmet perhaps. Yeah. Okay, so Brandon sending me a picture. There's two different cool pictures. Oh, look at these guys. I don't know if I'd call that humanoid.
2: Yeah, those look like, uh... Robots. Those look way more like a robot. And look, in the second drawing, the French guy has a beret on. He does,
1: (laughs) son of a bitch.
2: There's a baguette sticking out of his pocket. (laughs) There's no baguette, but I swear to God, this guy's wearing a beret. He is. Fucking French. I think from his profile, you could tell he has a little mustache, too. Fucking French. Make me sick, the French.
1: Why? All right, so let me go back through the top 10 and then I have a very important question to close us out. Okay. This is the top 10 most credible third and fourth close encounters with... Close encounters of the third and fourth Thank you. kind. Yes, featuring humanoids as compiled by our friend at the Our Strange Skies podcast. Number 10, the Herbert Shermer abduction. This is where the police officer was ridiculed <laughs> by the bullies at work and he retired and lived in obscurity the rest of his life. Stuck by his story. Number nine, the Travis Walton incident, also known as Fire in the Sky. The lumber worker was abducted on the ship and experimented upon. Number eight was the Lonnie Zamara incident. This is the one where the, uh, he had seen a ship 200 yards away. It had the f- uh, an orange the and blue, blue flame underneath, right? Right. And he saw two people that retreated as he got closer. It's finished the smoke break and got
2: back in their fossil fuel powered experimental aircraft. That's right.
1: Number seven is Betty and Barney Hill, probably the most famous of any, I would, I mean, besides like what, like Roswell, it's got to be the most famous UFO something out there. It's in the top few at least. Betty and Barney Hill. Six, the Stonehenge incident, not to be confused with Stonehenge, it's actually the Stonehenge apartments in New Jersey. This is where ten figures came down to get a little dirt snack on their way back. Grab a snack for the long ride home. Number five, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Fuck off, space goblins. Yeah, this is what the goblins and they literally were wrestling for hours in the night. Shooting up their house. And I like how they went and told the police about it and then the next morning the goblins came back to wrestle some more. (laughs) Okay, so that's five. Four is the Varenza... Varenne's incident in Russia. This is with the nine-foot-tall guy with the big tube that he was going to beat the kid up yeah, with. Yeah, he
2: didn't come to fuck around.
1: Three was the Reverend Gill sightings. This is the group that went back to church after seeing several UFOs for four hours with people on top waving at them. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Number two, the year of the humanoids. So, it's a whole year with a few cases, but it featured the metallic creature that ran away from the police chief's car. It also featured the three creatures that took the fishermen on board and subjected them to experimentation and examination. That was number two. Number one, the French UFO wave of 54, which featured the one meter tall reflective helmet wearing aliens. Adorable little guys. Adorable little guys. That is the top 10. Brandon, my question for you. I have a few actually. Okay. Number one, this is the most reading and least guessing we've had on an episode. Yeah. How did you like that? That was fine. I feel like I...
2: I don't think the guessing uh, is always as important as just getting some learning in and getting some yucks in and most importantly, getting aliens in. So yeah, I'll take an alien any way I can get it, even if uh, I have to be
1: force-fed a list. Just like Travis Walton was force-fed on the ship. Yeah. My next question is, if you were abducted, and let's leave the details out of it. Let's just say you were abducted, you were taken on a ship, and then you were brought back. Who would be the first person you'd tell if anybody? And would you do anything about it or would you kind of just Do I remember what happened?
2: Or do I just have
1: lost time?
2: Let's and a sore butt.
1: (laughs) Let's say you remember it, but the detail of whether or not you remember or you went through hypnotherapy is not important. Let's just say like you have at least a vague idea of something happening. Would you pursue it or just kind of hope it goes away and forget about it? Because all these people came forward.
2: I mean, I would tell my wife. She would probably notice if like, you know, I got a beam of light zapped me out of the bed for several hours in the middle of the night. She might not notice. I came back with my clothes all on inside out and backwards. She probably wouldn't say it. She'd like, she sees you the next morning, doesn't even say a word. That's just how he gets dressed sometimes. I think I would tell my wife and then she would check me into a mental hospital.
1: That's the thing. Like, do you go, to any, go through any official channels? No, I wouldn't.
2: Because what are they going to do? Would you call
1: in like any sort of UFO? Ooh, I
2: would contact MUFON. Yeah, Yeah, MUFON. Yeah, I wouldn't bother talking to like the police or the military or anything like that. I mean, I don't want to talk to the police or the military period and I definitely wouldn't want to share with them something as exciting and cool and also probably a little bit vulnerable because of the sore ass with the cops or the military. Yeah,
1: I want to share it with other nerds. I'm calling MUFON. Well, imagine Betty and Barney Hill, interracial couple in the '60s, coming forward to the police and shit. That took some balls. I did
2: uh, glance at something about that because I remember, you know, I I brought it up and I remembered it standing out as an explanation that psychologists had to give. And I do want to point out that in the quick bit that I glanced at earlier, it did remind me that Betty said, despite that fact, they lived in the Northeast. You know, it would probably be obviously a different story in other parts of the country but they lived in the northeast and they were a happy couple and hadn't experienced any sort of stress or tension because of race or race relations or anything Mm -hmm. like that, at least as part of being a couple. So, yeah, Betty discounted that as any sort of cause for stress or trauma. So, I did want to point that out. I didn't want to like just throw out that like, oh, that's the reason why they came up with this story. It was one... And probably kind of a, almost a patronizing explanation given by some psychologists who I, I'm i not even sure examined them. Uh, yeah, I don't remember if they were examined for like... Um, other than the hypnotherapy, I don't know. I don't know. I. It, so- it sounds like they would have been up for anything. Anything they could do to aid an investigation or... See, that's the thing. I'm like, I understand wanting to like say, hey, this messed up thing happened to me. But like... What are they gonna do? Are they gonna arrest the aliens?
1: Well, I think the argument would be people need to know that there's aliens coming here. <laughs>
2: yeah, they need to know, watch your cornholes, bud. If yeah. you see if someone cuts you off in traffic, well don't stop, period. But don't stop and study their habits with your binoculars. Yeah. And then approach them.
1: Especially not if you have a cute little dog in the car with you. Oh yeah, I forgot. You to... can't risk Delcy safety. By chasing down aliens in your binoculars.
2: No. You need to bottle up that rage, that road rage and save it for when you get home.
1: That and your semen yes. so you have enough for the aliens to harvest later. Save your road rage, save your semen. And save your ears for more of us next week and every week. With the Tension Podcast, we'll be back next week. Brandon will have a list for episode 77. And in the meantime, you can follow and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at... 10ishpod and that's all she wrote that's all she wrote that's all she's going to write that's all she'll ever write that's all she wrote god damn it thanks for listening and goodbye